You're listening to Philly Who, the podcast that tells the stories of the doers, thinkers, and performers of Philadelphia. My name is Kevin Schmidlin, and today is the story of a local Philly school teacher who had a personal awakening that changed the way he looks at himself and his students. He completely reinvented his teaching, created a nonprofit, and might have discovered how to revitalize Philly schools. The story of Carlos Aponte is now on Philly Who. Carlos Aponte is the founder of We Love Philly, which is a newly minted nonprofit that connects Philly students with volunteer opportunities around the city. Once those students feel the power of the impact that they can have just by helping others, their passion for Philly, learning, and bettering themselves explodes. Now, you'll hear at the end of the episode how Carlos and his students have adapted during the COVID crisis, but in the meantime, he's gonna share the story of how he realized that the secret to unlocking a student's passion for learning is to get them out of the classroom and into the real world, into their home city of Philadelphia. That city is Carlos's home too. I was born, I believe, at Northeast Hospital. I lived at Kensington, Allegheny, until around that area, until I was three or four. Then I went to my grandma and lived in Jersey for three years. And then my mom met my stepfather, moved back to Philly, lived in Tycone up until eighth grade. Then we moved to Innerborough, which is in Delaware County, right by the airport. And then I came back after high school and I went to Temple and then lived off campus on uh, 17th and Susquehanna, on all different places in, in North Philly. So I've been all over Philly. And so I, I read that you were diagnosed with ADHD at the age of four? Four, yeah. That is so early. <laughs> yeah, it's unbelievable. How did they know already at age four that you had ADHD? Uh, I have no idea because I was four. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's totally fair. So this was, I left my mom. She couldn't take care of us. So we went to live with my grandma. My grandmother already took care of my older brother, who is my half brother. And now me and my little brother were coming into her care. So we were four years old and... Now, looking back and reflecting, my grandmom is, how do I put it? She's the most hurt person I've ever met in my life. She has the most trauma I've ever experienced before in my life. And that's just because I can see how much she has affected our entire family with trauma. And people still are upset with her and haven't let things go. And as I got older, I started to realize it and realize it and realize it. And then I was able to forgive her. And that's another story. Since she went through so much trauma when she was younger and, and through parenting, et cetera, and what she went through in her life, she didn't know how to handle boys. And my older brother was on ADHD medication. And once we got right with her, we got on the ADHD medication. Doctors were just prescribing it, right? We went to the doctor. They guess they did the ADHD test or whatever that was in 1994. Four, four, yeah, right. I was on Ritalin from four to twelve, three times a day. Wow. Yeah, and it's it it really takes your soul away. Like I feel like I just sat in front of the TV. I was able to focus in school, got good grades, whatever, but couldn't conversate with anyone. Like I was speeding essentially, right? Like Ritalin is the, what is it? A molecule away from meth. Like it's a methamphetamine. Right. So to be on that from four to twelve, I was just yeah. I felt like I didn't have a personality, right? 
once I got off the medication at 12, 13, I started drinking Wow. at 13. And I think it was because I didn't know how to be sociable with people because I didn't learn those social skills from four to 12 because I was on Ritalin. In the most formative years. Yeah, exactly. So then from 13, I wasn't like drinking heavy. I wasn't an alcoholic. It was just like high schoolers drinking. But once I got older and started meditating and reflecting, I noticed the pattern that I drank every time I was in a social situation because I had social anxiety. And it wasn't until I was about 27 or 28 that I stopped drinking for about a year to try to become more sociable because I never had those experiences growing up. And I noticed just the heart would go even like if me and you had this conversation at 27, I would be like freaking out. Wow. How old are you now? (laughs) 30. Wow. So teenage years, if someone asked you, what do you want to be when you grow up? What would you have said? I wanted to be liked. I think I was just doing whatever I could do to gain the gold star from people. Like I wanted the stamp of approval, right? Like I was the guy in high school that could head nod everyone because everyone was like cool with me. But I didn't have like really close friends. I had like one friend that I met like junior year that I was like would actually start developing a relationship with. But before that, I was I was like, I need to set up a wall so people think I am this. Looking back on it, in the moment, again, I didn't know I was doing that, but I just wanted to not not be liked. So I just was like, avoided conflict and then just just like tried to be the funny person that would make people laugh. And yeah, I don't think I wanted to be anything in, in high school. Like I got good grades and all, but I don't think I had like a goal when I was, before high school, I wanted to be a goalie in the NHL. That was my goal. <laughs> That would be the case for Carlos even after graduating high school. He didn't really know what he wanted to do, so he enrolled in community college. So for one year, I went to uh, Delaware County Community College. I followed my then-girlfriend, who is now my wife. Whole another story. <laughs> but I followed my then-girlfriend to Delaware County because she's like one of the first people I developed a relationship with, and she saw me as a person, right? And I was like... This is great. So when I went to Delaware County and I started to take college courses, I realized that they're the same as high school courses. And I met a couple college professors who were telling me about like teaching and educating and what that looks like. And in my brain at that time, I figured, hey, here's a profession where people can't tell me what to do and I can be in charge. Right. And I think it's that ego, like coming back out, like, like, Hey, I can be in control. I can be in command. I can be the person to decide if everyone likes me. I can be the person to decide what's due, whatever that like power. Right. Then I went to Temple University and I went into their education program and I started to remember more of my like upbringing, going to school in Philly. And once I started going into classes, I was like, oh my God, it's coming back to me. Like I started to realize how little people cared about education because it wasn't something that turned to profit. That's when it clicked for me that, oh, 
I need to do something in that field. Something was pulling me towards trying to solve that problem. And the more I started to be in schools in Philadelphia on a professional basis, I was like, oh my God, this is like a city-wide thing. And then the more I started to do my own studying on it, I, I started to realize, oh, like people don't know how to read in Philly. Like, and it just got deeper and deeper. And, and I think that motivated me. But I was, I was still scared in the beginning. I took a year off between school and teaching and I just bartended for a year and I was terrified at first because just that's a massive colossal problem I mean at the end of every interview I ask what's the biggest challenge in Philadelphia and probably 70 to 80 percent of guests say the schools yeah so everybody knows that this is such a, a massive problem and everybody feels that fear of getting involved of trying to solve the problem so when you're getting this education about education and you recognize this, that a lot of people aren't there really for the right reasons. They aren't there to, to push, to help, you know, the youth discover themselves and learn how to be human. What made you feel like you could help this rather than just change your major? Ego. <laughs> right. It's like a, it's a, I think in my opinion, it's more of a curse, but in the beginning you think you can change the world. Like, oh, duh, I'm the one that needs to be the one doing this, right? Like I can fix it. I can fix it. But that was what got me in. Once I got in the door though and started teaching, the kids started teaching me the traumas about myself because I started seeing myself in them. And then that's what really pushed me to, oh, I am supposed to be here. I am supposed to be part of the solution. I might not be the solution, but I'm supposed to be a cog in the wheel to keep, to get this thing to be evolved because it's broken. It hasn't changed in a hundred years. It's all the same, etc. But what made me think I could change it as a 23-year-old was definitely ego. But once I started being with the kids and seeing what frustrated me about them, I was like, oh, it frustrates me about you because I'm that way. And I'm starting to realize it. And next to meditation, teaching teenagers who don't want to be inside of school will also help you have many awakenings. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I yeah. bet. <laughs> Carlos had his own awakening when he noticed that he was being driven completely by ego. It affected the way he taught, but it also drove his behavior outside of school. I was a terrible person. I was manipulative, a liar. I was full of ego. I was doing anything and everything to not feel pain, even if it was at the expense of other people's pain. Does this make sense? Like I've had ex-girlfriends before where I would manipulate in the moment, I'm not like maniacally in the corner thinking yeah, I'm yeah. doing this, but it's like subconsciously, that's what you're doing. But I would be like, um, I would treat them great and whatever, but I would still be lying to them. I would still be dating other people at the same time. Wow. And then I would not want them to break up with me because I couldn't deal with the rejection and that feeling of abandonment because that came from childhood. So I would make them break up with me instead of me breaking up with them because yeah. I didn't want to like have, I wanted it to still have a good relationship because I couldn't stand to not be liked. It feels like that there was a moment where you saw this for what it was, right? Th yeah. That you immediately became self-aware. Yeah. Did you just wake up one day and say, holy crap, look at what I'm doing? Or like, how did that come to be? I started getting into meditation and I started to sit down for once because I thrived in chaos. So 
if everything around me was chaotic, I would have that super laser focus, but I could only focus on what was going on in that moment. So once I started to quiet my brain and quiet things, things started to pop up in my brain that was like, oh, that's why you did what you did. Oh, that's why you did what you did. And it was more of like a, a meditation became a reflection tool to see the things in me that I was hiding. And then I could be around family and I could say, oh, they're doing that. I used to do that. They're doing that. I used to do that. I'm this way because of the people in my life who raised me and their traumas were passed on to me. And that came through meditation and that came through talking with people who for once in my life weren't judging me when I was telling them things. Because that helped me realize that I am a constant, I used to be, and it's something I still struggle with, am in a constant state of judging people all the time too. And it's also hard when you're like a teacher, I got out of college and now I'm a teacher and now I'm paid to kind of judge students to see where they're at. So once I started meditating, I was like, how can I go throughout life without judging people? And yeah, I'm still trying to find the balance, but I would say the main thing was, was meditation. I can't get over the self-awareness that it takes to recognize yourself in the unpleasant things that others are doing, right? Because we, we very, very easily see good things in other people and like, that's me, <laughs> you know, like I'm driven or I like baseball or whatever it is. But, you know, in life, you come across somebody who does something that you do that isn't unpleasant and you experience it. And I feel like it's just, it's not natural for us to think, oh, maybe I do the same thing to other people. Yeah. You know, not to harp on that, but like it was, you say it was just beginning to meditate that opened that door for you. Like, was there a moment where you said like, holy crap, this person's doing the same thing that I do? Or was it more of a through practice type thing? It was meditation and it was being able to get forgiveness when I didn't think that I was uh, worthy of forgiveness. That was from my current wife. So her ability to forgive me when I didn't think I deserved to be loved really like made my brain explode of, oh, like everything that I've been doing to hide who I really am, you knew the whole time and you didn't care and you loved me anyway. And that's what really made me have that flashback in my brain to like see the pattern of my behavior on why I was doing what I was doing to other people and et cetera. And it all stemmed from abandonment issues. It's, it all came from not feeling loved, not having people there when I was growing up. It came from being on Ritalin for eight years. It came from social anxiety. Like when someone's able to see all of that and they already knew and they didn't judge you for it and they still want to be with you and love you anyway, even though you weren't a good person, that helped. And then that inspired me to go and admit my wrongs to people who aren't even in my life anymore. Like what, what's that? Like the seventh step of AA or something yeah. like go tell everyone all the bad stuff you did. I did that. And once I did that, I had the biggest obstacle, which was forgiving myself, which I feel like a lot of people get stuck on that before they like find the drive and find the purpose of why they're on earth is they're just like so hard on themselves. And I experienced that. And then that helped once I was able to forgive myself, I was like, okay, the reason why you went through all of these things is because this is what your students are going through. This is the path that they might be on. And now you don't have to have the victim mentality anymore. Now you can use this, make it your purpose and try to solve one of the biggest problems in Philadelphia because no one wants to touch it because, I mean, it's a whole 
yeah. litany of things, but yeah. yeah. How did you find those people who you discovered weren't judging you? I stopped judging other people. Wow. Oh, so you stopped <laughs> judging them and then you were able to see who wasn't judging you? Yes. Like I said, I'm still struggling with it. I'm not yeah, perfect. But I stopped constantly being in a state of, why would you do that? Ew, who does that? Ew, what are you wearing? Oh, what is that? You're fat, you're skinny. You're, Because once I stopped doing that, once I stopped doing it to myself, right? And saying, oh my God, you need to lose weight. You're not big enough. You're not strong enough. You're not fast enough. You can't sit down for long enough. You can't do these things. Once I was able to quiet all that, then I started to see that I was doing it to other people all the time. Wow. And then the more it got quiet in me, the more I got quiet in doing it to other people. It was all projection, I think, yeah. in my opinion. Oh my gosh. So much, I think, of the pain in the world is projection. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it, it, it is. It's unbelievable. You can... You can only see what you know, right? Everything that's in front of you is through your lenses of perspective, right? I'm a history teacher, so constantly I'm telling, I'm trying to teach students about perspective because I think it's like one of the most important lessons in history, right? Who wrote this? Where is the source coming from? Whose eyes are this coming from? But at the same time, it's such a valuable life lesson that you are only seeing your reality through your lens, right? Everyone started out as like a little baby and they didn't have a perspective yet. And that's why everyone loves babies because they're so pure and they're cute and they haven't been tainted yet. So you have to realize what has tainted you in order to try to t change the glasses that you have been seeing life through. And it's a constant humbling experience to be around teenagers and to get that reminder that they're on the same sort of journey. And my teenage self, it was just like them. Yeah. And so tell me about One Bright Ray Community High School. So One Bright Ray Community High School is the only school I've ever worked at professionally. I started there six years ago when I was 24. I started teaching there. It's an alternative high school for overaged and undercredited students who are looking at a second, third, fourth chance at a high school diploma. So there's 16 to 21 year olds. So there's four campuses throughout the city. There's one at Fourth and Somerset where I'm at. There's one at Kay and Erie. There's one at 64th in Elmwood, and then there's one on the fifth floor of Strawberry Mansion. And then they have the first adult program at night at Strawberry Mansion, where if you're over the age of 22, you can come and get a high school diploma as well. Yeah. So can you describe in more detail the student population? The student population at One Bright Ray throughout my six years has been predominantly Latino and African-American. Are they there by choice? Depends on your definition of choice. Some are court orders, some are a lot of them are their truancy, right? They didn't go to their other schools. A lot of them are coming from schools that are terrible. Like they left their school because there's constant fighting, there's constant drama, there's constant bullying. There's just, they, they realize that this isn't a, a situation where learning can happen and then they come to one bright ray. Right. But it's, it's definitely a mixed bag. Example, my, I remember my first day, when I was 24, a student looked up to me and said, hey, can I charge this in here? And it was his ankle monitor. And I was like, this wasn't in the textbook. I was like, I, was <laughs> wow. like, I don't know what to yeah. say to you. Was there a moment within those first weeks where you thought you were going to leave teaching? Oh, absolutely. Like what, I can't do it. What's the point? You start blaming the, the students, right? Because at that point, I was still thinking 
that it can't be me, right? But it's just, I couldn't do it. I'm working 16 hours a day. I'm having a hard time putting things together. I didn't realize that I have students who are 16 to 21, but they're on a third grade reading level. I went to school to be a high school teacher, right? Like all of these, now that I see them as excuses in my brain that started to come up about why I couldn't do it, right? These limiting beliefs. And then I've read a book. The book is The First Day of School, and it just talks all about your first day teaching at school and like classroom management and and just how to help you set up a routine in your class. And then, yeah, that book saved my life. I recommend it to every teacher who I know is uh, struggling because it really helps you set a routine and gives you those little small victories and you can start to see the changes immediately. And that really helped me. What is the student's generally what is their outlook on philadelphia oh it's the worst place on earth like oh yeah absolutely like the worst place can't trust anybody terrified to leave my block can't go outside parent parents same thing like you're not allowed to leave the block there's it's just not a good place you either rap and make it and or you don't this is just not a good perception of what Philadelphia is. They have no idea that Philadelphia is like hottest real estate market. There's a lot of money coming into it right now. A lot of people moving here. People want to live in Philadelphia. They just know what happens in their neighborhood. And in their neighborhood, it's be careful. Don't go out at night. They're completely unaware to the changes that are happening in Philadelphia that a lot of people applaud. Um, in their neighborhoods, those changes aren't happening. If anything, it's getting worse because they're getting pushed out of their houses. A lot of students in Philadelphia, they hate school. What do you do when you hate something? Your brain tries to forget it so you don't have to experience the pain. Well, if you hate school, you're also going to forget all of the skills that you're supposed to know by the time you get to high school. So it doesn't mix. Now you come to me and you're quitting on just wanting, having to read a sentence. You're quitting when you're, when any sort of challenge comes your way, you don't think that anyone cares about you because you had teachers who didn't care and were just collecting a paycheck. You don't want to be judged by other people. So you don't even try. All of that stuff is a pattern that repeats inside of the classroom. If you feel dumb, if you feel like you're, you, you're not there. So right. how are we expected to solve that in the same environment where it's bell rings, come in, do this, do this, do this. Okay, here's this, leave, right? In 2021, it's going to be mandatory. I might have the year wrong, but it's going to be mandatory in Philly that in Pennsylvania that students pass the Keystone exam in order to get a diploma. They've been pushing that back for years because they know that students in Philadelphia are not going to be able to read at grade level. And I think that's the final straw. So I feel like the city is going to be in a crisis soon to figure out how these students are going to score this way on the test in order to get their diploma, wow. unless it changes and gets pushed back again. Right, right. But, but yeah. it'll be one or the other. <laughs> Quick side note. Keep in mind that this interview was recorded just weeks before the COVID crisis hit the U.S. So the story you're about to hear is going to kind of sound weird through the lens of us all being stuck at home on lockdown. But stick with me because the discoveries Carlos has made, I would argue, are more valuable now than ever. So you're brought on as a history teacher. Now, at what point did you start and... What was it, an after-school running program? Yeah, my cooperating teacher was part of Students Run Philly Style. It's a big organization in Philadelphia that pairs 
teachers with students so they can be long distance running mentors. You would be the running captain and then you recruit students to come and to run. And then they give the students free shoes. They enter them into the all the races, Broad Street Run, Marathon, Half Marathon. And then you can develop relationships with students through running. Once I was student teaching, I saw my cooperating teacher do that at his school. And once I started teaching, I was like, I want to do this because I saw growth immediately in those kids we were running with. How did you see that? I saw that once you got them out of the classroom and out into nature or just outside, the learning just multiplied by 10, right? They're developing relationships with kids. They're with other students, they're all running, they're all sweating, they're all struggling, they're all wanting to quit, but they don't let each other quit, right? They're learning all of these skills immediately that don't get learned in the classroom because they think they're being judged by other students or they're being judged by the teacher. So they're hiding, right? So just being outside of the classroom and seeing them flourish and seeing them do the Broad Street run and run a half marathon, it's unbelievable. And you're just like, wow, like this is it. This is the secret. You, you need to get out of a classroom. I always say, look at it this way. There's a program in Philly called Read by Fourth. And Read by Fourth is a program set by the city of Philadelphia because two thirds of students aren't reading at grade level by fourth grade. Wow. 67%, right? So now, remember I'm jaded. I've only been at one bright race and we're getting students all over the spectrum of, of reading level, et cetera. But if you don't know how to read by fourth grade, and now you go through fourth grade to ninth grade, not being able to read, thinking you're dumb, thinking that that this isn't for you, you're gonna start developing trauma and you're gonna hate it and you're not gonna to wanna to be there. And now I'm um, expected when you're 16, when you couldn't, when you weren't reading at grade level at nine, right? I'm supposed to fix that in the same environment where you develop the trauma. So getting them out of the classroom and putting them into a new environment, like it was like rocket fuel. Wow. And now and now I could be able to see, I was able to see the growth. And then I was like, well, that's the answer. Carlos noticed the transformation in his students' demeanor just by being outside of the classroom. He realized he needed to take that rocket fuel and pump it into the rest of his teachings. But the question was, how? So when I started to have my own sort of reflective awakening, I joined an online community that really helped me be in a place where I wasn't going to be judged and didn't judge me for how I was and all the mistakes I made and everything that I, all of the darkness that was inside of me, they really helped cultivate me to have a little bit more self-esteem. And one of the things that we did in this community was we did weekly challenges that would get you out of your comfort zone and get you to basically build your self-esteem. One of the challenges was to go spread random acts of kindness to people out on the street. So when I did this, I saw the immediate change in a person's personality, especially in Philly. So we have bag lunches on Wednesdays, students have a half a day. So the bag lunches that the students don't eat, I take, I still do it if there's any leftover. I would take, I would go down to Kensington because the school at that point I was at Kay and Erie was right around the corner from Kensington and Tioga. So I would go down there with the food and I would start giving it out 
to people and having conversations with them. And then just people staring at you going, what, why are you so nice? No one cares. Why are you here? And I was like, oh, like this is this love people are, don't trust it because I don't, for whatever psychological reason, right. They've been, all been through trauma, but just seeing them, they expected me to give them the food, but they didn't expect me to stay and try to have a conversation and just giving them a chance to express themselves. I saw the, the, like a little bit of weight. I don't want to say I like, like solve their problems, but just being noticed, right is something that really helps your self-esteem. It really helps you feel better about what, how your day is going or what's going on in that moment. So just being able to do that and help people, that started We Love Philly. So I then, once I seen that, thought, all right, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I have this GoPro. I'm going to strap it to my head and I'm going to go around city and I'm just going to try to help as many people as possible in a day and just have random conversations and show people that they don't have to be scared to go outside. Because in my mind, in my, because I'm always around students, they're all terrified. They think that we can't go outside. It's Philadelphia. We're going to get murdered, right? Because that's where these murders happen. It's usually in their neighborhoods. So that's what I would do. And I would use those videos on those Wednesday circle days to show students, hey, not everyone's a terrible person. Hey, you can go out and have conversations with people. Hey, people just want to be loved and heard without being judged. So I was using it as a teaching tool at first. And I saw that the students were like buying into it because they'll be like, yeah, everyone says that they do this, do this. But here's a person actually doing it. Here's video proof. And then I was like, okay, how can I get my students out in the community in order for them to have the growth that I was currently experiencing too, right? Because me doing this was helping me. This was helping my social anxiety. This was helping me try to be more selfless and not think of, yeah, not think about myself, et cetera. So I was like, I need to spread this to the students because this is gonna help them grow and have more faith in their city. And then they too would love Philly. Coming up, the beginnings of the nonprofit that Carlos created to connect students, volunteers, other nonprofits, and anyone really who also loves Philly and wants to do good. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Philly Who with Carlos Aponte. So Carlos has the idea that he wants to get students out into the world to experience the impact that they could make here in Philadelphia just by volunteering. So with only three students on board, he got started. I was in Southwest Philly at that campus at 64th and Elmwood. Going to that school blew my mind. That's where it started yeah. because you cannot believe that it's Philadelphia there. There is nothing there, no supermarkets. There's nothing for a teenager to do in Southwest Philly. So that was another motivation. I did the running thing for a year there and took the kids to Bartram Gardens. They were like, we've never been to Bartram Gardens. I'm like, you live around the corner. Like, that's the only thing that's here and you've never been here. Like, you've never seen it. So then I was like, all right, we need to get you involved in the community because there's nice things going on. We just have to find them. So I started the program and I started doing it. I told my principal in Southwest Philly, hey, we're going to start volunteering for people. We're going to start going to different organizations and we're going to help them. That's all it was at the beginning. We're going to help them. I'm getting the students to be in the community. I'm getting students to experience things. We're getting them out of Southwest Philly. We're, I'll go to Center 
city with them, South Philly. We'll go to different organizations, right? We eventually went to Bartram's Gardens, volunteered for them, and I'm going to expose them to things. And they're like, okay, you run. <laughs> like, <laughs> sure, you're the one who's always trying to do stuff. Yeah, we're not going to stop you from doing stuff. So that's where it started and it's evolved. And how did those first initial volunteer sessions go? The very first one was Artsphere Inc., and it was in the Bach building. So when we went down to the Bach building and we went inside and they saw the school, it used to be a school turned into office spaces. They were like, oh, you can like do that, right? Oh, there's like a glass blowing place in here. There's an art place in here. There's all of these things in here. So they were like excited, right? So when we did Artsphere Inc., I feel like it was uh, like blessed. It was the perfect thing because they just had to decorate. We were just there to decorate. It was their 20th anniversary. The Kristen, can't forget, I can't remember your last name, but Kristen like invited us. I told her all about it. She was my first, our first podcast interview, right? So she told us to come and we decorated and it was amazing. The students loved it. They got introduced to all the donors who were there. They got a big round of applause. The cool thing about volunteering when it comes to students in Philadelphia who think school's the worst place ever is they get the instant gratification of volunteering that helps them boost their self-esteem immediately. So putting five or six students at the front of a room where no one knows them and they don't have to speak, but everyone's giving them a stand and ovation because the director said that they're the ones who volunteered and decorated the whole place. You just saw them go, oh my God, what? Like, you can't get that from a test grade, right? You can't get that from this project that's due two weeks from now. It's going to give you anxiety. <laughs> like you're getting it immediately and that immediately builds your self-esteem. And then once we're done and we're reflecting, they look at me and they're like, well, when's the next one? And I'm like, oh, because you felt good immediately, right? When's the last time you sat in sixth period and was like, well, I feel good right now. Like it doesn't happen for them. So I knew it was something. In that, that moment, you knew you were onto something. Yes. Yeah. Wow. And so at that point, what is like, what is your vision for this program at that point in time? At that point in time, it was just focused on the students and getting them into opportunities that they were never going to do before. Right. So the reason why I picked podcasting is because they don't talk to anyone, right? There's trust issues. So to get them on a podcast and to listen to ideas from people who are trying to help the city, it reinstills that there are good people out here. They're talking to us and they want us to be on here and ask them questions. So that's why I picked podcasting because it, it helps them communicate, right? So many students are living in cell phone screens right now. That's, that's why I picked volunteering because Instagram has taught their brains that everything is instant gratification. I get the heart now, video games. I get the, the coins now. I get the whatever now, the points now. Everything is now. So I picked another reason I picked the volunteering is because they get to feel that same feeling of instant gratification immediately. And I learned that through six years of teaching that I need to figure out things to constantly motivate them in that moment, like right. build on it. And then, like I said, podcasting was, was for communication. And then video was for them to learn technology and be on a computer. Most of my students don't know how to use computers because they do everything on a cell phone. So I was just trying to figure out different skills at that moment to help them learn, to help them learn values that will that will take them further in life, even if their reading isn't the strongest, even if their math isn't the strongest, right? If you just are kind, 
people will give you way more patience, right? If you are giving to somebody and not expecting something in return, people are going to want to associate with you more. And then since now you have that in, now maybe they can help you develop the other skills that you might be lacking that you didn't learn because, in my opinion, you've been traumatized from being inside of a school yeah. and not knowing. So how long, how long now has the program been around? It's one year l last week, two weeks ago. Wow, congratulations. <laughs> Thank That's you. So cool. How do you feel now a year later? I can't believe that it's where it is right now. And it's just like how quick everything is moving. Yeah. Yeah. Now you post on the We Love Philly Instagram, the weekly schedule, and it's just packed. Yes. Like every day. Yes. Is it the same people volunteering each time? Like, do you have, like, how many people would you say are volunteering? Like, so the purpose. And I feel like maybe you can help me with this because I feel like a lot of people get this misconception. The purpose of the volunteer thing is to let everyone know in Philly what volunteer events are going on that they can sign up for. So you're looking to connect regular, just any Philadelphia yes. with stuff that they can volunteer yes. for. Yes. We're not at every one of those events. We do a lot. We're probably volunteering two or three times a week and then throw a podcast in there too. And we Love Philly has evolved to the point now where it is an everyday Monday through Friday after school program where students come. I create it, different curriculums. Every eight weeks is a marking period. They come to the class Monday through Friday. They get a half a credit towards their diploma. Since I'm a certified teacher, I created my own class basically, which is We Love Philly. We call it the Young Entrepreneurs. Example, I'll just paint a picture of a class. They come to class. The first thing we do is we meditate. We'll meditate for five to 10 minutes. And then once we're done meditating, I'll put a pose a question or I'll say a word and then they'll journal on the word for like a minute or two. Yeah. And then we go around in that circle and we talk about the meditation or we share whatever the word is, right? And then we'll go into content, right? Example, last week was networking. So I was teaching them how to network, elevator pitches. We went to one of the classes in the week, we went to Venture Cafe and they had a table at Venture Cafe and they came up throughout the week with a way to engage uh, the people at Venture Cafe and we did all that in class. And after class, sometimes we go and volunteer or we volunteer on the weekends or sometimes we go to Rec Philly to do a podcast interview. So these kids, these students, these they're amazing. I can't, I can't believe how much they're doing now compared to what they were doing before we left Philly. Like they're entrepreneurs. Like they're coming with me to all the volunteer events. They're coming to class every day. They're doing all of that work. They're going to the podcast interview to do the podcast. They're editing videos. They're updating the volunteer count. They're doing it all already. And it just, it blows my mind. So it used to just be, hey, we're going to go out and volunteer. But now I've developed a class around it. So now it's, you, they can get half a credit towards their diploma. And we've made We Love Philly to try to figure out if anyone is engaged with We Love Philly, how can it be of service to every single person involved? So we didn't just want to go, hey, look what we're doing on Instagram, because I might not serve anyone, but hey, we're going to repost a volunteer calendar every week so our audience can go out and volunteer and feel the gratification, feel, I want to say healing, that volunteering really gives to you, right? I've been out with students, we volunteered for an hour and we fed 200 people. And at the end, we reflect, I'm like, you fed 200 people who were going to go to bed hungry in an hour. And they're just like, yeah, we did. 
And you just see it like, yes, confidence build, self-esteem build. Now I might not be teaching you how to read, but now you're going to have the confidence to grab the book yourself and teach yourself once you get out of high school. Because no one, you're not going to have the teachers around. No one's going to be pushing you. No one's going to be over your shoulder. But I want to empower you to realize it's okay to be behind because my own story, I was way behind. But it wasn't until I humbled myself, learned humility, and realized my own mistakes that I was able to start to rebuild the foundation of my house with better values. How do you communicate these sort of high-level thoughts to anybody who may not be thinking in that way, right? Because like what we're talking about now, these, these concepts, it's a lot and it's not something that you can just explain to somebody in two minutes and they kind of get it. Right. So, so I'm curious that, you know, you, you work with folks every day and it's clearly important to you to help people to, to think, to realize that they're, you know, seeing their life through a specific lens. What are the ways that you help them to realize that? Honesty and vulnerability. Just by doing it on your own. Doing it on my own and yes, using using what I went through in order to help them see that they don't have to go through it too. Example, today's perfect example. Every Wednesday we do a circle day. So I circle up the students and I'll either put like a quote on the board or I'll put a picture from history or I'll put uh, maybe a clip of an inspirational thing or whatever. Today, all I did was wrote down the word trust on the board and I circled it. So we ran around the room and I asked the students, what is your relationship with trust? Right. So being where my students are from living in North Philly, 99% of them cannot trust another human being. Like they do not want to trust because you don't want to get hurt. Right. So Either usually on those conversations, I save my response for the end, or if I know it's something really sensitive, I'll be the most vulnerable person and let them know what happened to me and then just kind of like get it, the ball rolling there, right? And you can't do any of this without building relationships. Like you said, this isn't just conversations you have with, hey, I met you. Hey, guess what? (laughs) What does trust mean to you? Yeah, yeah. What does trust mean to you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So they're my students, so they, they know me, right? So I told them, almost every single student, I can't trust someone else. So I flipped it. I I waited to the end and I said, well, do you want to learn to trust? You all know that you're going to have to trust, right? Humans wouldn't be able to build these giant cities if we weren't able to trust other people, employees, et cetera. You need trust in life. And they were like, yeah, we we want to learn. Always the first thing you do when you're teaching. Do you want to know this? Because when students say they want to learn something, now they're going to listen. If you just tell a student something, they don't care. I try to get the students. It's like leaving the breadcrumbs, right? Good teachers leave the breadcrumbs to have the students ask the questions that they know will help them have the realization on your on their own, right? Students who think they came to the answer all by themselves and it came from inside of them, that's what you're going to remember. I figured it out. Wow. It wasn't the teacher lectured to me. It was, oh, I had the light bulb moment. Yeah. You remember those light bulb moments. So they were like, yeah, yeah, show, show us or tell us. So I told them, All of trust starts with you. The reason why we have such a hard time trusting is because we are constantly lying to ourselves on an everyday basis. You say you want to get in shape. You say you want to get straight A's. You say you're going to get out of bed early. You say you're going to work out today. You say you're going to do all of these things, but we don't do them. Now, if someone else lied to you on a regular basis like this to you, you wouldn't be friends with them. We'd call them snakes, right? That's what they say. That's a snake. I can't trust them. Okay, so all of that trust starts with you 
right? Like you need to trust yourself first because once you trust yourself first and you see that you don't lie to you, then you'll be able to tell if someone else is trustworthy because it's not that you can't trust other people. You can't trust yourself to see if someone's trustworthy because you lie to yourself. Yeah, the kids yeah. are like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, I'm like, oh my God, I reached them. You know? yeah. and then I get to enjoy that quick second before it, you know, some other kids like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, okay. back to work, right? Yeah, back to work. <laughs> That's um, awesome. Yeah. How did you become such an expert in human behavior and human feeling? Teaching in North Philly and Southwest Philly for six years and doing the work on myself, just doing the work on myself. And I, I, I am a big psychology fan. I've taken psychology courses, but it's trial and error, just being a high school teacher, caring, <laughs> caring. I say this a lot to people when they're like, you teach, you get it all, you teach in North Philly, God bless you. But it's just like the, you're crazy for doing that because we know those students, they have the negative misconception of the students, right? But I always say like for teaching, it's the hardest job in the world if you care. Because it doesn't stop at from 7 to 3.30. You go home and you contemplate and reflect if I did A, what would B be? If I did this, what, how would this have changed? If I did this, how would this have changed? If you don't care, it's the easiest job in the world because there's, no, there's not a lot of oversight. You remember when you were in high school, principal came in. I mean, the principal would come in to observe the teacher and the teacher would prep you before the, right? Yeah. The principal's going to be here today. Make sure you're doing it. That's the only time most teachers get observed. So if you fake it that day and you develop a friend relationship with the kids and you're just friends with them and they'll do what you say because you're the cool teacher that lets them get away with everything, it could be the easiest job in the world because there's no oversight. But that's why Philly, I believe, partially why Philly is in the circumstance it is right now because right. people are able to get away with it. People are burnt out. People are, I don't want to say protected by a union, because I'm like sort of pro-union being a history teacher, yeah, yeah, yeah. but but they're, they've, they're protected. They, they've been teaching for 25 years and the internet didn't exist 20, well, it did, but no one had the internet 25 years ago. So for you to think what worked in 1993 is going to work in 2020, and still, not, it's yeah. all good. Yeah. <laughs> You're not a math teacher. No. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's not going to work that way. And, and for you to be clinging on to this is how education was. When I was in high school, I had to sit down and do this and I was able to do it. That mentality is the type of mentality that's ruining the future generations. No, it's not their fault that it's not like that anymore. You know it's not like that anymore. It's your fault if you don't do something about it. If you're not going to do something about it, don't become a teacher. Yeah. Don't do it. Yeah. Right? When I'm teaching, I am responsible for 150 students every eight weeks because we're an accelerated program. Wow. So I get new students every eight weeks. Eight weeks. Yes. So you're responsible for them, for you to not give it your all. Don't do it. You're hurting people. I was going to ask you if you had one piece of advice for someone who's thinking about becoming a teacher, what would it be? Sounds like that would be it. That and learn who you are. Having bad teachers myself also motivated me partially to be a teacher, especially a history teacher, right? How do you have all of history to work with and you make class boring? <laughs> yeah. But... What I would definitely advice would be learn yourself because you don't want to pass your traumas on to the kids because you haven't dealt with why you snap out on a kid or why you feel drained or why you feel a certain way. So make sure you you're, have a good handle on who you are as a person because, yeah, I don't, you don't want to pass that on yeah. to the next generation because 
unfortunately, some of our students, that's why they are right. like that. It's not all teachers, right? Parents play a big role, but the reason why they are that because their intergenerational trauma was passed on to them. And that's what happened to me, which is why I teach where I teach too. So I'll, I'll take that a step further. Even folks who don't want to become teachers, I, I would say in any profession and just in general being a human, the biggest piece of advice would be to to know yourself, right? Yes. To, to understand yourself. Yeah. So someone who thinks, oh man, I really want to do that. Where should they start? They should start with a meditation practice. They should start with journaling. A lot of students that I talk to about journaling, I don't, this is what they say, I don't need to write it down. It's all in my head, right? How are you able to go through 2020 when you're bombarded with advertisements, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Spotify, all of these things throughout the day, and for you to remember what you thought in that one moment at 9 a.m. this morning, right? So if you can start journaling and keep a consistent journal practice and go back and read about yourself, that's what we do to learn now. We read books to learn more, all right? Write your book about yourself with journaling and read over your journaling book and see why you do the things you are. Why do you feel this way? What triggered it? I would also say to, and this is really hard, is to embrace discipline and do things that you know are going to be really, really difficult and that actually bring you joy because then you'll start to see that you don't need that thing to bring you joy. Right. And the joy is actually inside of you. Right. So we were talking um, before you, we got on about like uh, I'm in the middle of the 40 day challenge. So I'm not, I've abstained from like a lot of instant gratification, right. like foods and things like that. And it's, it's a reminder that, oh, I was using those to make me feel better because I didn't feel good. But yeah. it's not treating the cause of why I don't feel good. Right, so right, yeah. Do abstaining from that stuff, you'll start to see, feel why you're, you are having these reactions, where it's coming yeah. from. Yeah, I've been uh, sitting really recently in pleasure and pain brain associations, which is very, very similar, right? So like for me, I've always struggled with getting up in the morning, no matter what time I went to bed. It was always an issue. And, you know, being a full-time entrepreneur, I don't have a boss to report to in the morning, yes. you know? So it's all on me. And, and in order for me to accomplish the things I want to accomplish, I got to be up at 6, 6.30. You know, I'm trying to have a great workout, you know, make sure my, my physical condition is in peak state so that my mental condition can be can follow and I can just achieve all these things that I want to achieve. And so for the longest time, every morning the alarm would go off and I'd snooze forever. Even if I had something, somewhere to be or somewhere to go, you know what I mean? And... I was listening to one of the Tony Robbins tapes and he started talking about pleasure and pain associations. And he talks about how everything that we do ever is either to seek pleasure or avoid pain. Any moment, there's not one single thing that a human does that is not either to seek pleasure or avoid pain. And he said, if you want to do something that you're not doing today, that means that you associate that thing with pain instead of pleasure. But if you can figure out how to get your brain to associate that thing with pleasure, it's going to be easy to do it. If you're not intentional with your brain associations, your brain is going to make an association, one that might harm you, yes. but it's going to just make one automatically. It's not like nothing's going to be there. If there's a lot of uh, dark things in your subconscious, that's what's going to develop the association. That's, right. that's going to be the, in the moment, why I'm doing what I'm doing. Exactly. Yeah. And so for me, like the example is waking up in the morning. I associated that, the alarm clock going off, just being like those, those first few seconds of waking up with just massive pain because I just wanted nothing but to go back to sleep. I was in caffeine withdrawal, you know, yeah. whatever it was. And then 
just being aware of that and saying, okay, how can I make it so that I associate getting up early with pleasure, right? Well, what does getting up early mean? It means that I'm going to get a head start on everything. I'm going to actually achieve the things that I want to achieve in the day. What would that feel like if I actually got my workout done and got the right start and was able to answer all the emails I need to answer and get all the work done? But then the, the next step was, how do I feel when I don't get up early enough? When I wake up at, you know, a couple hours late and then the rest of the day is completely behind and then I drink tons of caffeine to, to, you know, try to catch up and then I can't fall asleep at night and I have tons of anxiety yes. because I didn't get everything done. That's pain. That's yes. all pain. And so it was just, okay, like now not getting up when the alarm goes off is massive pain. It's just horrible. <laughs> you know, I'm so unhappy when that happens. And now it's a breeze, <laughs> yes. you know, it's like yes. easy. It's, it's nothing. Yep. And that to me was one of the, you know, as, as far as the day-to-day -day goes, one of the biggest challenges was just, just a simple thing is getting up early. I was going to say, when you said intention, I think that's, that's the, the anchor of the whole conversation, the whole, what you're talking about right now, that positive association, it all circles back to intention, why you're doing what you're doing. And to circle back to journaling, right. if, you don't, if you don't write it down and you're not seeing why you do what you do and you're not reminded every day, then you are going to be navigated by whatever your first, I tell my kids, your, whatever your first iOS download was on your brain. That's how I try to like tell them like, hey, we do what we do because our parents downloaded our first iOS update on our brain yeah. and we're still trying to fix those bugs with that iOS download. So if you're, if you don't have intention and you're not, your intention is, Hey, how can I associate something positive with this? Why are you doing it? Cause you want to get more done. You want to be better. You want to be the best person you can be. That's your intention. Yeah. That, and it's going to work. Wow. I really believe humans are limitless beings. Like we can do anything. And that's such a huge secret that you just said that yeah. not secret, but that positive well, association. Key, right? Yeah. Major I mean, key. if you understand just how our brain works, yeah. just how the human brain and how human emotions work, you can channel them for good. Yes. For, for, for good first for you. And then once you're able to receive, then you're able to give. Yes. And that's what it's all about. Yes. And then once you start doing that, you get invited to crazy, like I'm on your podcast right now. Like that wouldn't happen to me a few years ago because I was selfish, right? I wasn't giving. I wasn't doing anything. I was teaching still, but I wasn't doing it with the intention to try to help in the best way I can be by being my best self and my best version. So once you start to give, you start to find all the other givers. They don't let themselves be known around selfish people. That's why you can't find them. It's not them, it's you. <laughs> You're the reason why all of this is happening. So once you switch that paradigm and you start to live with intention, you start to give, you start to love, you start to be patient, you find all the other people who are like you because they hear you speak and they go, oh yeah, we're, we need to work on something together. And to bring my students around my own journey with like my own personal journey because I benefit just as much as they do. And to have them and us live it all together is like sort of like a small family. It just, it's mind blowing how accepting everyone is and just how just much they grow because they see I'm, oh, before it's, oh, you're just the happy guy in school that's jumping all around full of energy trying to motivate us. No, there's a whole community of people that just want to help. And once you start helping, they take you under their wing and they teach you. And that's, that's like one of the best parts of Wheel of Philly is just 
meeting all of the good people in Philly because I was them when I was younger. It's the same thing. Philly's whack. It's not going to be good. When I first started teaching, it was the same thing. Like, this is screwed. I'm overwhelmed. This isn't going to ever work. But it wasn't until I stopped thinking about why I'm upset and started thinking about other people that everything changed. I gave Carlos a call a few weeks after recording this interview once we settled into the COVID lockdown. He and his students are safe and sound, and he's still volunteering. So there's awesome organizations in Philly where you can just get in your car, pick up supplies, take it from point A to point B, and you don't have to come in contact with people. Even though I have, I volunteered for a couple places where we're feeding the homeless, but we're six feet apart. We all have masks on. And yeah, it's just the type of work that that needs to get done. And now that I have this, I have a little bit more free time. I figure I should just still be out in the community. I feel like I'm a young, healthy person. And I know people are way less fortunate for me. So than me. So yeah. just getting out into the community and helping those who are most in need is definitely just, yeah, something that is a part of my life and I don't want it to go away. So are you still in contact with your students? I can honestly say that I'm so proud of my school through all of this. So we have started online learning and we've reached almost 70% of them already within the week. And 70% of them have logged into their online learning so they can continue to get credits for their towards their high school diploma. So, And that's just week one. And all of the laptops that have been given out, all the, the, the free internet from Comcast, that's our population of the students who need those resources in order to continue their learning. And our school has done a great job making sure that they're getting their computers, making sure they know where the resources are. I've been emailing, I've been on calls with parents all week, just making sure that everyone knows what they need to do. And it's been very inspiring to see our school community come together and, and respond to this and just be there for our students. And I've been Zoom calling with students all week. I do a, a daily meditation with students. And yeah, I'm just trying to do as much as I can from home. And yeah, how's their outlook? How are they holding up? They are super confused, as is everyone else, right? So there's, it seems like right now, I don't want to say everyone doesn't know what the truth is, but there's so much conflicting information and everything's so new and there's so much clickbait out there for you to get to just read something that I feel like a lot of the students are confused and they don't know what to expect next. What breaks my heart the most is our students who are planning to graduate this year. So us being an accelerated program, some of these students are 19, 20 years old and have been seniors for three, you know what I mean? Three years because of their circumstances. And then they finally made it to the end and then for them not to get a prom or graduation. Yeah, it sucks. It sucks for them. But uh, once again, I'm really proud of our school and talking about possibly doing something virtually or possibly going to these driving by these students blocks and like just doing something like get dropping off balloons, something we're, we're brainstorming. Sounds awesome. Well, Carlos, stay healthy, stay safe, man. Thank you so much for checking back in and being on the show. And uh, hopefully we'll see each other pretty soon. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate you. Cool, man. Appreciate you. Be sure to follow We Love Philly on Instagram at We Love Philly. You can see all the different volunteer opportunities that are available in Philadelphia so that you can make an impact too. And check out their podcast too, We Love Philly, in the app that you're using right now. Here is a shout out to Philly Who's patron of the week, Vanessa Generelli. 
Vanessa runs GitHub Education and has been a Philly Who patron since July 2019. Thank you so much, Vanessa, for the continued support. If you'd like to join her in supporting the show, head to patreon.com slash phillywho. The URL is in the show notes. Philly Who is a Q9 production. This episode was produced and hosted by me with editing and mixing by Max Graham, music by Lee Rosevere, and artwork by Lauren Labick. For Philly Who, my name is Kevin Schmidlin. Until next time.